Hello, small business owners. Welcome to this episode of the Freedom Focus Podcast. Today, I'm joined once again by my good friend, Dirk Hopped. You might recall that Dirk was a guest on my podcast almost about a year ago, and that in that episode, Dirk shared with us his three big ideas for increasing productivity. Welcome back to the show, Dirk. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Dirk's role in today's show is going to be slightly different. He's going to be serving not as a guest, but instead as my guest host, as we explore the latest topics that I'm sharing with my Freedom Focus community, you. The topic of this week and for the next show in two weeks will be Thomas Jefferson's 10 Rules for the Good Life. Today, we're going to talk about the fascinating background on where these 10 rules came from. Then we're going to look closely at just the first five of Jefferson's 10 Rules. Lastly, for each rule, when it makes sense, we're going to be talking about how that rule applies to businesses, employees, and the benefits to small business owners when you follow these rules. We hope you enjoy this change up in format. Dirk and I are definitely excited to see how it goes. Hi, Darren. I'm excited about this. I think I like your new format style that you've come up with here because I think the benefit of doing it this way is it gives someone like me the the benefit of the audience perspective that I can sort of pull out from you kind of what is going on in my head. So I'm going to ask you sort of questions as they pop into my head. And I think this is a cool format for kind of extracting out of you all the wisdom that you have and all the thoughts and examples you have around these five rules. So the first thing I want to start with is just giving it, getting an overview. I know you to be a, you're, you're a political junkie. You're, uh, you're into, you know, I think there's uh, I'm going to reference a, a stoic rule right off the bat. Number 33 is um, study the lives of the greats. And I feel like you've always done that. Like I've That's always right. known you to be a person to, you know, especially political figures and things like that, but to kind of look back and see what people have done and haven't done. So, um, but particularly with Thomas Jefferson, um, you know, there's a lot in the beginning of your article about, you know, just a lot of really interesting ways you could go with, you know, the fact that Thomas Jefferson died on Independence Day. That's right. Um, You know, Adams, his buddy died the same day um, you know, you make some connections with apparently Thomas Jefferson had a bent with religion. Um, there's stoicism mixed in there. Just, I guess, give me a, just a big picture. What is it about the rules, Thomas Jefferson, any of that, that really intrigues you? Well, and, and you're spot on Dirk. I, uh, have always been a, a student of history in general, but I also like to study, uh, the lives of, of of important people that have accomplished a lot, and and you're right on that point, and uh, and because you and I've spent a lot of time talking about a lot of things, um, uh, it's no surprise probably that Thomas Jefferson comes in. He's he's one of the people that was certainly significant to our country and what we've done. But then he was a deep thinker. He was a very much in, involved in in researching things and coming up with unique ideas. And one of those things that he did at the very end of his life uh, was this idea that he would share that wisdom with a lot of other people, and in particular with young people. So, so the the idea that he had uh, this this canons uh, decalogue of of canons 
for for uh, uh, advice that he was sharing with young people uh, is important because that's what he felt like, especially at the end of his life, that he wanted to be doing was sharing as much of the wisdom as he had in him at the time. Uh, and and so the this whole idea of sharing the ten rules, the the Decalogue, and and the Decalogue comes from the 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 uh, the Old Testament, right? Uh, the Ten Commandments and. And what I found interesting as I was kind of doing some background research on, on the 10 rules from Jefferson was that uh, uh, Decalogue uh, 1 pertained to the 10 commandments, but within, within the, uh, the Old Testament, it refers to not only 10, but also 12. There was another section in there. And so we're going to talk about the first five uh, today, uh, but the reality is, is that we're going to sneak in two extra ones next week or two weeks when we get together again, Dirk. So we're, we're going to we're going to look at that original 12 that he had come up with. But he did he did pair it back to 10 and he was sharing it with the son of a man that he didn't know, but his uh, man that wanted to take advantage of whatever advice that Thomas Jefferson could share with his young son, who happened to be Thomas Jefferson Smith. And so he had the same name. And I think that was intriguing, perhaps, to, to Thomas Jefferson. So in uh, in in 1825, uh, that's when he said in February of 1825, the year before he died, he said, you know what? Yes, I'll be happy to share this information. And I'm not sure why this particular one was the one that ultimately became the rules that we we talk about today. It wasn't the original 12, and it wasn't rules, the same Decalogue that he had shared uh, uh, years early where earlier with another friend of his. And so, um, but it is important that he shared the information. And again, those have survived 200 years. They were, they were popular at the time, just when he passed away. And this letter that he had shared with young Thomas Jefferson Smith, uh, that letter had gotten out into the public. It was shared. And it included, as, as I said in the article, a poem at the beginning. And that poem hasn't really survived. Uh, and it doesn't, he doesn't even say who that poem came from, but it was more wisdom for young Thomas to live by. But then he went into, at the very end, this decalogue of, of uh, practices, this rules and ideas and, and things to follow. So again, I, I thought it was, was tremendous uh, that, that this is something that I've run into time and time again. And I just wanted to see how can we put the business perspective around this, since that's, of course, the audience that we talk to, Dirk, is small business owners. Um, but uh, how can we apply these to business? So we'll, we'll talk about that today as we walk through them one through ten, one through five anyway today. All right. So yeah, let's dive into this. So I thought the way that we would maybe approach this was similar to this Thomas Jefferson to the Sun. What would maybe like an owner say to his right-hand man and apply it that way? And so there's a couple different ways to look at it, but that's kind of what I'm going to sort of pull out of you if that works for you. Yeah, that's great, Dirk. We can yeah. definitely do that. So let's dive in that way. So number one, never put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Um, give me a little bit of idea of what that means to you. This one really is about procrastination, right? And, and we all suffer from procrastination and putting things off. And the problem, of course, that causes that I would certainly be sharing with and have shared, quite frankly, with, with uh, members of my team is the idea that things pile up. That creates more stress, less efficiency. And so what we want to do is try and avoid uh, things getting piled up on us, okay? And so how do we avoid doing that? Well, one, it's pretty obvious, is that we plan ahead. And uh, I actually talked in the article 
about information. Um, if you just did a random search on how to avoid procrastination, uh, I, I, I looked at that and it was funny as, as I was going through and looking at one person's five ways to avoid it, almost every one of those had plan ahead in the strategy. And so planning ahead is really important because then again, you're thinking ahead um, and you're not letting things pile up, but you also know when you're going to attack things, when you're going to get things done. And so for a bigger perspective for the business itself, I, I really, and I talk about this in the article, the idea that goal setting is paramount because with goal setting, what you're doing is you're identifying what things are important out into the distance, your long-term goals. But you're also looking at, okay, so those are my long-term goals, maybe out three years. And then my medium term or, or shorter term might be one year. And then, of course, we talk about for business owners and goal setting, breaking it down to even to quarterly goals. What am I going to do this quarter? And Dirk, one of the things that I found fascinating about uh, and very helpful in goal setting is, is knowing that. Instead of having, oh, I've got to accomplish all these things, which most business owners and a lot of people individually have going in their head, I've got all this that I want to accomplish. With goal setting, what you're doing is you're saying, okay, yes, I've got a lot to cover, but I'm not going to worry about doing this particular task or goal for a year. I'm not dealing with that until, until after year one. Well, guess what? I just took that thing that I think about often and worry about and what do I need to do today? I've set that off into the future so I'm not cluttered. My mind's not cluttered. It's not causing stress and I'll worry about it down the road. And so I found, for example, for me, um, I want to launch some classes. And what I decided to do was, okay, so I want to la launch classes, but some of the classes that I want to launch, I don't need to have done today. And all of a sudden I took that class and I moved it off into the future. I'm going to deal with that in the fourth quarter, not in the first quarter. And, and all of a sudden, I didn't even worry about it anymore. I didn't think about it. Uh, and I did focus, though, on those things that I said that I wanted to work on in, this, in the short term. Because procrastination is really about putting things off because you feel overwhelmed, because you're stressed out, because you haven't planned ahead. And so you just, you, you feel overwhelmed and you end up procrastinating when things happen like that. So, so again, you, what you want to do is make sure that you're planning ahead, goal setting in order to avoid that um, and don't let things pile up on you. Does that make sense, Dirk? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that totally does. I like that. How do you eat an elephant? That's one right. Time. One bite, bite at a time. time. Yeah. I can think back to, uh, this is probably 15 years ago. Um, you know, you were doing, I worked for you and you did a review for me. And one of the things that you said to me was you work really hard on the things that you like to do uh, and not as hard on the things you don't like to do. And so, you know, talk, I, I guess, a little bit about, you know, when it comes to procrastinating over, you know, obviously there's big projects that you just go, I don't even know where to start with this thing, but then there's just stuff that you just don't want to do. Um, yeah. What would you say to your right-hand man about like, you know, there's the Brian Tracy eat the frog and all that. But, you know, where would you what would you say to him? Yeah, well, it's prioritization. And don't forget that you're not alone. Um, as a as a member of a team, you are part of a team. And sometimes what you need to do is you need to work with the others that are on your team. It could be your boss like Dirk, you coming back to me. But it also could be just the other people that you work with and bounce it off of them. 
uh, and ask them, well, what do you think I should maybe uh, prioritize? Because I got so much going on. I'm having a little bit of trouble uh, with that. And, and in fact, if you can ask for some help, and we'll talk in some of these other rules about not being afraid to ask for help. But if you ask for help, then uh, it'll help maybe to, to as a sounding board to say, okay, got it. These are things I really need to focus on because you get so close to things that mm -hmm. you just really need not need, you need to make sure you're not afraid to ask for help when it comes to that. So mm -hmm. that helps um, a lot with procrastination is just knowing where to start. And the analogy of eating the elephant one bite at a time, what's mm -hmm. that first bite, right? Is it the trunk or is it the tail? So you mm -hmm. got to just think about those things. Absolutely. That's really good. Yeah, so that, I think that's a, that's too good of a jumping off point for rule number two here to pass up on. So let's look at that. Never trouble another for what you can do yourself. Seems kind of counterintuitive uh, at first blush and, and even with what you were just saying, asking for help. Um, you know, bridge that gap for us, I guess, get us over to that rule uh, in, in this context. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, you know what, Dirk, I want to approach this in, in, uh, from two angles. Uh, the first angle I want to talk about is what should you be doing? In other words, this is the rule in its straight up literal sense. What should you be doing? Uh, and this really goes for anybody. I talk in the article about uh, Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach, his, his uh, unique ability. Um, and he has uh, four classifications for the activities that we do, the, the stuff that we're, you know, not very good at, you know, we, we're, we're incompetent at, the stuff we're competent at. Um, and then, of course, we've got the stuff that uh, we're excellent at and then our unique ability stuff. Well, first of all, the stuff you shouldn't do and should really get rid of is the stuff that you're incompetent at. You're just, you, you're not very good at it. You know, you make it worse when you do it. So you might as well just leave it alone. But let's look at the things that you should do in, in accordance with the rule, your unique ability, that's stuff that you are a, that's your superpower, the stuff that you are truly recognized by everybody at being really, really good at. I mean, it could be organizing people, it could be writing documents, it could be leading meetings, uh, any of those things that, that, that you are recognized and for your whole life, quite frankly, you've been recognized as stellar at this particular activity. That's your unique ability. And your unique ability, by the way, is something that gives you energy when you do it. You love doing it. And so why not do more of that? So we, we should we spend our, our lifetime or we should spend our lifetime uh, not only discovering what our unique ability is, but doing more and more and more of just that thing. So these are things that you absolutely should be doing. And they could be trivial. Uh, as a business owner, it could be taking notes. <laughs> uh, and you are just really good at it. You're efficient. The notes are awesome. Maybe that's something that you do hold on to. Now, not forever, a task like that. But you know, there are certain things that if you just are a rock star on that, you should keep doing those. Now, Dirk, I want to flip it over and let's talk about things that you shouldn't be doing. A lot of owners um, and people in general, but business owners, they run into a problem where they can't delegate. They can't let things go because no one can do it as well as they can. Uh, you know, maybe a client will only really wants to talk to me. And that's where uh, owners that don't let go will never get to this place of freedom focus that we're always trying to, to talk about owners getting to. If you can't delegate, then the business will continue to be you and you're never going to find your way to freedom. So you've got to find a way to delegate. 
And that's the opposite of, of quite frankly, this rule. You know, you're going to trouble people a whole lot, quite frankly, for things that are not your highest, best use. Of course, you're not your unique ability, but ultimately just shedding things that will allow you to have other people do things for you so you can focus your attention on the most important things for you. So again, those are the things that you should be doing, your unique ability, and the things you shouldn't be doing is anything that's not your unique ability that you can delegate to somebody else so that the business starts to run itself and you can step away for longer and longer periods of time and it keeps running and it keeps continuing to be successful. That's good. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I wrote never trouble another for what you should do. I, I crossed out can and put should, same thing. So we were exactly. thinking the same thing. I want to I do a third angle on this because um, I hear this come up. But the idea that um, saying this to, you know, Thomas Jefferson saying it to the son, the, the owner saying this to the employee, his right hand man saying, you know, don't come to me with everything like I'm empowering you to do some stuff that you can do, right? So part of freedom and part of letting go is the idea that, you know, telling your right hand, man, you've got some latitude to, to do some things and make mistakes and try some stuff. Um, you know, don't, that's awesome. You know, don't bring that to me, you know, and, and additionally, you know, in this scenarios where you do come to me already come with some solutions. Yeah. Yeah. Talk that, that's, that that's, a little bit. Dirk, that's excellent. That's really, really excellent. Because the whole idea is that oftentimes, yes, we need to make sure that um, this definitely directly applies in the idea that, you know, if you can do it yourself, don't always default to asking for help right away. You know, uh, in fact, as a as an owner, what you should be doing is turning around and saying to somebody in a very respectful way, uh, well, why don't you, I, I could give you an answer right now, but why don't you noodle on this? Come back and tell me what you think the answer is. There are no wrong answers, okay? There's learning. So if you come back to me and there's something that we can modify, we'll do that. So Dirk, I love your angle on this, the idea that we we build up people. We, we encourage them uh, by taking on responsibility in the spirit of this rule, not troubling others for something you can do yourself, not troubling something uh, others uh, when when you should do it or you can do it or you're capable of doing it. So I, I love that that additional angle, Dirk. Mm -hmm. But of course, with empowerment uh, comes boundaries, right? Restraint, I guess. And maybe that leads us on to Rule four or rule three, I'm sorry, never spend your money before you have it. And I like in your article that you, you know, just use it as an analogy, not just for money, but, you know, I like the idea and this has been said to me, don't get out over your skis. Um, and, uh, you know, which is just, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. And so how would you, you know, say to your right hand person, look, make some decision, take some risks, don't be afraid to fail, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you also don't want them to go crazy either. Um, I can think of a time with you and me where um, I gave some pretty healthy raises to our employees and uh, without consulting you and ultimately come to find that you really would have liked to have been involved in that decision. And so a perfect example of... <laughs> You know, you gave me, a, you empowered me and gave me a lot of latitude. 
question is to this point is how do you empower yet not let someone get out over their skis? Yeah. And, and Dirk, that's a good example. You're, you're remembering things that uh, that I don't remember. If I'm guilty of anything, it was always giving people too much latitude or or or, or whatnot. I was always say that about myself because I want to give people a chance mm-hmm. and I want to do that. But then uh, you also illustrate, Dirk, that there has to be some boundaries. And clearly that was a failure on my part. I wouldn't even call it your fault. It's my fault because I never set boundaries with you of maybe where are these things where you can take latitude. But I will tell you that the, the cart before the horse was that other analogy that I used, uh, putting the cart before the horse. And that applies, I think, you know, not spending your money before it. But if we look at it more of in a general sense, in the abstract, it's about patience. A lot of mm-hmm. a lot of especially younger people, they get real excited. And um, even even the point of taking too much latitude, to your point, Dirk, uh, if, if you're not patient, uh, you can cause challenges, you can cause problems, but you also can cause problems for yourself. If you're patient and you exercise patience and you're careful in how you approach things, and I don't mean overly conservative, but you know, if you're if you're careful and you're cautious, but you you're you're thoughtful, and I would even say again, plan ahead if you're planning ahead and and uh, and whatnot, then uh, then you're actually going to do not only the the business uh, well by doing that, you're also going to do yourself well because remember, as an employee, I would tell a member of my team, I'd say. You know, every time I, every time you you go out and take a step, uh, it's like a child, right? They'll go and they'll they'll take a cookie out of the cookie jar and they'll look over their shoulder to see can he see what I'm doing or can mom see what I'm doing, and they'll see if they can get away with it, right? And of course, if if mom screams, you're like, okay, well, I pushed the boundary, I can't do that anymore. But and and I'll, I've got a great story. My brother and I, uh, I have twin brother Devin. Um, when Devin and I were younger, we used to um, help my dad out in the workshop and we'd help him with the power tools, right? The table saw, the radial arm saw, the drill press, and we helped him to build things. And I'll never forget, we must have been in maybe sixth grade. We were still pretty young and uh, and we wanted to build something and uh, and and we knew we can't couldn't turn the power tools on by ourselves. So, but there was this time where we were like, man, we just need to cut this piece of wood to build this thing we're trying to build and and we fired up the saw and of course dad's going to hear it in the in the house because it's a power tool that makes all kinds of noise and uh and and we were like turned off and then we kept doing it and dad didn't come thundering out of the house to yell at us we came in to the house after about an hour of this and you know saw dad and he said guys are being careful you're wearing your glasses for protection right he didn't so he gave us some gave us some rope uh, we didn't hang ourselves or injure ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that part of that's part of it. And you know what, Dirk, obviously the term that comes to mind is trust, giving trust to your employees, uh, so that they, they, you know, they may get out of their and over their skis a little bit, you know, but I think working with them, uh, making sure they know this rule, right. And they know the, 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 the real reason and what we're talking about when we talk about this rule, but make sure that you use it to advantage so th- that they understand that you put trust in them, that you trust them to take, make decisions, do things, give raises to employees without checking with the owner. Mm-hmm. You, you trust that they're going to make those decisions. And Dirk, no big harm came from what you did. In fact, um, you, you learned a boundary there. So all good stuff, I think. Yeah. I like what you said about, I want to tease out a little bit about the patience idea because 
you know, especially someone who's maybe younger or ha- doesn't have a bunch of business experience, who's maybe your right hand man, let's say, um, you know, there's a couple things probably going through their head. They want to impress the boss or they want to impress you. So they want to light the world on fire. Um, the other thing is, is that, um, you know, there things take longer than you think they're going to, at least that's my experience in business is that you go, oh, you know, in three years, I'm going to be done with all my goals. Like, no, I only got my first goal done. Like, it's just, it takes time. And I think I've seen it be valuable to people that the owner or the the boss or whatever shares with that person, like, look, let's talk about pace here. Um, I don't expect you to do everything by the end of the year. Uh, I don't even want you to try. And, you know, and, and, implementing what you talked about with the different quarters, you know, that would be probably a worthwhile time for a boss and a right-hand person to sit down and say, let's, let's apply what you talked about earlier with the, I don't even expect that till fourth quarter. Right. Um, And so then that gives that person markers like, okay, I don't have to get everything done by the end of next, next month. And so it, it sets those expectations. uh, And I think it's a teachable moment for the person to realize this stuff takes time, you know, and don't get reckless and careless and out over your skis, I guess, trying to accomplish everything. And and Dirk, keep in mind that as a business owner, when you're doing things that make your organization a more freedom focused, the, the core values, the vision, the goal setting, all the things that we talk about, you're you're actually setting you're setting examples for your employees, the members of your team that are that are are for the benefit of the business. But you know what? When they start to see the benefit of doing these things that they may never have done themselves, all of a sudden that's going to be internalized for them and they're going to start doing that in their personal life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, goal setting is one of those things. I know that I've had employees that came back to me and said, you know, Darren, I'm actually setting setting goals. And in fact, Dirk, one of the things that we do uh, as part of the Dream Team Builder that we do is is the annual reviews or the or it's semi-annually annual reviews. In that process, which I teach, we have the employees' goals. What is what are your goals for the next year? And we talk about them. Not hey, uh, some of them might be very personal. Uh, typically, those goals are going to be professional. Uh, and we want them to, uh, of course, be aligned uh, with what we're trying to do as our goals as the as the uh, as the uh, as a business. And so that's the other important thing is that if we establish our goals as a business, what we're also doing is giving those that are part of the team. They're saying, okay, so now how can I help to accomplish that with my own goals? And that's where you bring everything together, and we start to get this machine that runs more smoothly with greater alignment, less sand in the cogs, right? And everything starts to, to as they say, uh, uh, be a flywheel. It's a slow turn. You have to be patient, but eventually that thing gets going. And when it gets going, as a flywheel does, it's really hard to slow it down. And so uh, that's something that we uh, comes from, uh, uh, you know, Collins, good to great, right? The whole idea of a flywheel effect. So yeah, Dirk, I, I, I like what you had to say and it absolutely applies. Yeah, I like that flywheel because the idea with a flywheel is that it is a big, heavy thing that just, it just gets going and it just doesn't take off immediately. All right, number four, never buy what you do not want because it is cheap. It will never be dear to you. Tell me what that means to you. 
Well, in, in the article, I gave a personal example of of um, basically how marketing works against us, right? And and, um, and I referenced uh, Robert Cialdini, uh, who who wrote a book called uh, Influence, and he has his seven principles of influence. And the one thing about uh, uh, Robert Cialdini is he he talks about this idea of scarcity. And so oftentimes we'll do things because we feel like we're going to lose the moment. Um, we're, we're not going to take advantage of something. Uh, there's an opportunity that maybe you don't think through as well as you should. And so this, this panic that you might lose out, FOMO, right? Fear of, of missing out. Mm -hmm. And that causes us to, to make decisions and do things that may not be for the better. And I think that's where this lesson really starts to apply is that you may end up doing something, uh, making a business decision uh, that, that you're going to regret because in the moment it sounded great. Uh, and again, I go back to planning, thinking ahead, using people as a sounding board, uh, thinking through things. Um, it may take just a little bit more time. You may miss that opportunity, uh, but maybe that opportunity wasn't one that you needed to take advantage of. So just keep in mind that um, don't be don't be overwhelmed uh, or influenced by these ideas of maybe scarcity, this idea that you might miss out on something and don't let that overwhelm you. And Dirk, let me bring that back to an example that's a little bit more specific, I think, to business and this idea of you may decide that you want to take a client on that doesn't align very well with your business and they're not really willing to pay you much. And early on, when you're in uh, the four levels of freedom that I talk about in, in business, when you're at that first lowest level struggle, every client you're going to try and take advantage of because cash flow is what you need. You need money coming in the door. But oftentimes what you start to realize is you move from, from uh, um, your struggle to your, uh, you know, your expert level or your next level up. When you start to look at that, uh, that level, um, you start to realize that not every client is equal. And the ones that are the cheapest ones or might be the ones that, you know, they don't value what you have to offer because they're, they're focused on the dollar, not what you, what, with the value of what you bring to the table. And so be careful about uh, that from a client selection perspective, because uh, they may not and probably are not aligned with your core values, which is another filter that we like to use, not only with the people that we bring onto our team, but the, but the uh, clients that we choose to do work with. Because if they're not aligned with your core values, uh, they're going to lowball you. Um, that's probably not somebody that you want to work with, uh, depending on what you're trying to do. So that's another way to look at it, Dirk. Well, and I got to bring up the Pareto principle, right? The 80-20. I mean, I think <clears throat> I've tested this and it works. Like 80% of your troubles come from 20% of your clients. And it's absolutely cheap, it's the cheap clients. It's the clients that you said, these guys don't align, but I'm going to take them for, you know, because I couldn't say no, or it's real early and you're worried about cash flow. But man, those are the ones that keep you busy and they keep you from getting the good clients in the future. So yep. it's a bit of a downward spiral. The other thing that popped into my head just now as you were talking was, because you have a tremendous, with your dream builder, you have a tremendous process for hiring and finding good employees. Same thing, right? Cheap hires, um, for lack of a better word. I mean, it's, I've done it. I mean, I remember I was so excited. I wanted to hire someone so badly that they showed me a fake uh, photo, a shot, a photo stock picture and I just believed that it was their work and I hired them and it was a complete bust. Um, but, you know, you've got to be willing to, uh, I think, even say, 
I, I interviewed seven people today. I really need someone. And I went and it's none of the seven. I mean, that's a scenario where you could say, I can't just hire a cheap uh, uh, hire. Uh, I got to I got to stay firm and hire someone that's going to align with our values. Yeah. And, and Dirk, in, in our current environment, our hiring environment uh, the, that is um, so difficult and challenging, and I've written a whole lot about this idea of how do we attract good employees, um, it's hard when you need somebody. Sometimes what you'll do is you'll you'll break down and you'll you'll hire somebody just because you need a body to be on that job. But one of the things that I have talked about in the past is the idea that it costs a whole lot of money for uh, bringing somebody on and then ultimately letting them go. That can cost five to ten thousand dollars for an employee. Well, how many of us would turn around? And if I gave you a choice right now and I said, you know what, Dirk, you can hire this person or you can write me a check for $10,000 because this person's not going to work out. So, Dirk, you know, uh, excuse me, you can either fire this person or write me a check for $10,000 or not hire them. You know, you would I would I would think you would say, well, I'm not going to hire them because there's no way I want to cut you a check for 10 grand, Darren. Yet people do it all the time. They'll hire somebody because they don't think about the idea that all that time and that effort and maybe you're not cutting a check, but you're paying people. Your own time is involved in training and the whole hiring process that you're going to have to do all over again if you don't get it right the first time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I really appreciate that this how well this applies, Dirk, also to the hiring process and employees that are quote unquote cheap, however you want to uh, couch that. Yeah, and I have to reference you did a really interesting podcast about that. Um, was a couple uh, a couple months ago where you talked about what's causing the shortage and all that. What? Yes, uh, what, yes, that's the right. The, that? the demographic drought. That's the article that mm -hmm. I wrote. Demographic. Yeah, if you're drought. watching this, I recommend going back and checking that out. It's really good. It's really good and really interesting. Um, the other thing I was going to say is, um, you know, with with the, what you do with the Dream Builder, you do the core values and the and uh, and the mission and vision. Um, you know, going back to the last rule for a second, that provides good boundaries in and of itself. Like when you're when you're trying to figure out, you know, should I do this or not? You've got those things in place that should be part of your DNA that you go, would this align with that? But furthermore, you know, that's that's why you do the core values and the in the mission and vision is because you know you if you can get someone who is uh, cares about what you care about. Um, then you're going to be on the same uh, same path, same mind uh, mind wave, if you will. And uh, you know, I think that's super powerful. So, all right, should we go to the last one, number five? Pride costs us more than hunger, thirst, and cold. And you know, you've already talked about this uh, in bits throughout this about asking for help and things like that. So it's it's appropriate that this one sort of caps off just this um particular segment before we go on to the next five next time right and 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 dirk remember we talked about uh ryan holiday's um 50 very short rules for the good life we talked about that or i cited that article you and i've talked about it we've shared that back and forth mm -hmm. um his number 29 i said uh his number 29 is just don't be afraid to ask for help mm -hmm. um this idea that uh, a lot of time we choose not to ask for help because of pride. Uh, it might, in the eyes of somebody else, it might look like we don't know what we're doing. Uh, it, may, it might uh, come across as um, 
not being confident. We always want to come across as confident as we can, or we know what we're talking about. Um, but pride is again one of those things that if you don't ask for help, uh, you know, it's it's we're talking costs, and it's not just dollars and cents. It could be a whole lot of things that that you could uh, you could be paying for just because pride won't allow you to do certain things. And I'm going to go back as I did in the article and talk about Robert Cialdini again in his Seven Principles of Influence. Uh, and and he talked about this uh, other concept called consistency. And when you have declared to the world a position, you've said, this is what I'm going to do, or this is what we should do, or, or this is the right thing. Cialdini talks about in his uh, principles, uh, when he's talking about consistency, is that it's really difficult for somebody to change once they have declared to the world, the public, uh, what, what they intend to do. In fact, he even goes so far uh, through research-based evidence to say, that if you write something down, you've really locked yourself in it. If you've written something down in an email or an article or something, it's really hard for you to go back on that because now it looks inconsistent. And we we want as, as individuals, we want to be consistent in what we do. We don't like to be called flip-floppers, right? We don't like to be called wishy-washy or or a flake, right? Because we we we're not we say we're going to do something, but we don't follow through. Some people are perfectly fine with that and they do it all the time. Um, but I think generally speaking, most people try and avoid it. And so that's where this consistency uh, comes in. But do not let it become, for you as a member of the team, an employee, or for you as an owner, don't let that be something that doesn't allow you to ask for help. Uh, and again, back to this idea of asking or delegating. Uh, don't be afraid to allow people um, an opportunity to prove to you that they can do well with something so you don't have to do it anymore. You will not get to freedom if you're the one that's always driving the ship. You will not get there. You've got to get to a place where you can let go and eventually walk yourself out of the company doing just those things, the unique ability things that you love to do. And and it, and if you get yourself there, and I would even say when you get yourself to that place, you're going to be amazed at how, how free you feel and how happy you are because you're not struggling with these things that you're, you shouldn't be doing and the things that you really don't care to do. Uh, and other people probably are even better than you at doing those things. So don't let pride get in the way of that. Yeah. And I guess, you know, from the CEO to the right-hand man perspective, like you don't want to walk away and find that your right-hand person is running your business like a tyrant, right? Like right. you want to convey to them, um, you know, all sorts of ideas come into my mind, like servant leadership and which plays into pride. The other thing that I've never been able to understand is this idea with Cialdini. I see it everywhere and it's absolutely true. But, you know, if I, I don't, I don't, I don't say I believe the same things that I believed in kindergarten or 10 years ago or five years ago, because I've grown since then, or at least I'd like to think so. So if you stay consistent on, yeah, this is my opinion 10 years ago, and I'm not going to move off of it with additional data. I don't quite understand that. So right. it's to me, it's a sign of growth, right? Yeah. And Dirk, quite frankly, keep in mind, if uh, Cialdini's uh, principle applies uh, in a time frame in the here and now, right? And so, yeah, of course, no one remembers what you said. I mean, some a lot of people don't remember what they said a year ago. They're not going to remember what Dirk Hopp said. Now, that's not to say that you're 
don't have somebody that comes back to you 20 years later and said, yeah, I remember on the playground when you said this to me and man, that stung Dirk. And, and I've never forgotten. I'm not, we're not talking about those kinds of things. You'd probably go, wow, uh, geez, I'm sorry that I did that. And again, being strong enough to say, I'm sorry that happened. That takes inner strength. That takes leadership. And, and it's demonstrated leadership when you can, when you can do that. And by the way, if you have so much pride that you don't let things go, you're, you're also, that's an example for the rest of your team. If your team sees that you can change, change positions because you've been, you've been given information that makes sense to change position. People understand that, hey, you come to Dirk with a really good argument. Uh, he's going to listen and he's going to be flexible and he's going to be okay to go with what you said. He's okay to say, hey, I, I was wrong. Even to maybe even a circumstance, I screwed up. Uh, it takes a strong person to do that. It really does. And not everybody's capable of it, but it certainly is a best practice, certainly as a, as a leader, as an employee of other members of the team, or as certainly as the owner, it's great, uh, it's great uh, examples to share and demonstrate uh, to the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say you're gonna, you're not gonna have a, I don't want to say hard line or an opinion or whatever, but there's a there's a phenomenal uh, uh, blog out there called The Story of Us, and I'm I'm spacing the name of the guy, but it's a tremendous uh, blog that he wrote. But in part of, and it's super long, super long. But um, the the part that's interesting is he talks about approaching everything like a scientist. Is essentially you have a theory or you have a working theory on what direction we should go. So you're in business, you've got this information, you're thinking, I think this is what we should do. Um, but it's just a theory until more data comes in and your employees come to you with some new data, you change the theory. It's not anything personal. It's not your whole platform. It's just, this is what I think with the data I have. So Absolutely. I, think, I think that allows for some good flexibility. And I actually wrote three uh, three rules uh, uh, from Stoicism. Uh, number nine: Put yourself up for review. Interrogate yourself. Yep. Um, yep. I think that's really good. I've always found, um, and I've had some some tremendous ones with you. Reviews that you've given me that, uh, and and not just you, but other people that, you know, if it it stings a little bit, maybe, but it's those times when they sting that have been most the most growth for me. You know, yep. they might. It's hard to take criticism, but but you can grow from them. Uh, and number 20, learn something from everyone. Um, I love that one. You know, can you learn anything from your employees? Of course you can. Of course you can. As a matter of fact, that should be your role as the leader is to have people who know what you don't know, right? Absolutely. Derek, if, um, you, if you surround yourself, if you're the smartest person in the room, people have heard that before. Right. I think you're in trouble, you're quite in trouble. frankly. Yep. <laughs> you got to surround yourself with strong people when it comes to that. Yeah, I, you could say you should be the smartest person in the room in empowering people. That's yeah. your job as a leader, not to know everything. And then, like you said, number 29, don't be afraid to ask for help. And those, so, again, Dirk, Dirk, just so everybody is clear, those all come from that Ryan Holiday's uh, 50 Short Rules. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes so that – and a number of things Dirk and I have referenced, including the uh, blog that he, that he mentioned, we'll make sure that's in the show notes so that we – we can share that with everybody. So 
Dirk, I think that brings us to the end here, right? Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say, is there anything that didn't, that I didn't pull out of you that you feel like is really, really should be shared? No, I think that uh, I love this format, Dirk. I love the back and forth. Of course, I have huge respect for you and all the things that you've done as an entrepreneur for 20 plus years yourself. Um, And this is great dialogue. Uh, for us to go back. And hopefully, for those of you that are listening, you've gained uh, some some insights. And and remember, these are just some thoughts and some interpretations that we wanted to share with you. You've got, you've got your own ideas that I'm sure are coming from, from listening to the discussion. And that's absolutely okay. There's definitely multiple ways to, uh, to look at this and, and to interpret that. So please don't take what we're saying as the be-all to end-all. There's a lot of ways to look at this, but we do hope that this has spurred some ideas. And so that's it for this week's episode. I want to thank you very much, as always, for being a listener. If you like the show, uh, please be sure to share it with your friends and colleagues. And don't forget that we're going to be back again in two weeks uh, talking about the next uh, set of rules, uh, six through 10. But I also talked about bringing in a couple of bonus ones as well. So I look forward to being back with you and with Dirk in two weeks. Until then, stay focused on your freedom. Freedom.